Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, Danilo from Thinking Critically here. Thinking Critically is a chat show podcast where we take a single concept or idea and discuss what it means within the Dungeons and Dragons framework. Each episode features a different guest from the TTRPG community, and so far I've welcomed actors, designers, and professional DMs. Consider it an NPR-style variety bucket of thought-provoking analysis and humorous anecdotes, where we cover all sorts of things, including the nitty-gritty of how to balance encounters, the perception of D&D in popular culture, and the impact it has on mental health. My hope is that each episode helps you get the most out of your sessions, whatever side of the screen you sit on. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit me at thinkingcritically.co.uk. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we are really excited that this episode marks the first episode in a series all throughout the month of April. We are going to be featuring a ton of Critical Role content. So be keeping your eyes peeled on the Tabletop Journeys channel for the next month uh, because it's going to be a bunch of Critical Role. We're going to be talking obviously about what we're going to be talking about tonight, we're going to be talking about the new Critical Role book itself. Got a bunch of stuff coming out here. So if you are Critical Role fans, April is your month here on the Tabletop Journeys podcast. But welcome, as always, my illustrious co-hosts, Glenn and, uh, and Lee Winika. Gentlemen, how are you doing this fine evening? Wonderful. Wonderful. Belly's full, ready to roll. Nice. All right. Pretty darn good. You, yeah, good. All right, who wants to start with uh, with their tabletop uh, uh, role-playing news of the week so far? Mr. Miller, how about you start? Yeah, sure. I have pretty exciting news. I've finished the last of my Session Zero pieces for the upcoming AP. I'm really excited. I was happy to really work what I think is one of my best, more well-thought-out Session Zeros that I've ever had before, and keeping in concert with the things that we consistently talk about, but also bringing in some newer ideas and other concepts having to do with the game because it's a modern game. The world today impacts the game I'm playing. So with sensibilities towards the things that are happening in Eastern Europe right now, I had to make some adjustments to 
the lines and veils as far as what I would be doing. I actually have to go back to the players who took part in session zero part one and make sure they're aware of some of the new changes because we did that before the events with Russia and Ukraine. I'll be changing the things because I want to be sensitive to that and uh, make sure that I go over that a little bit with them as well. Cool. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to uh, to diving into those episodes and checking out what you're doing over there. How about you, Mr. Myers? How about your news in the TP- TTRPG so space this week? My RPG tidbit for the week, I guess, but I'd have to go with event from my own character. I'm, I don't want to say on pens and needles, but the last game I played with a Patreon Marty, he's DMing a game for us, an Acquisitions Incorporated style game, but in Fairrun. And my character in that game, Nigel, ended the last session that we just played on very much a cliffhanger. Oof. And I'm not sure if he's going to be alive by the time y'all are hearing this. We'll find out. <laughs> or I'll find out. Y'all, y'all, I may never remember to tell y'all to give you the enclosure. But, but yeah, he foolishly, and he's brash. He's smart, but he, he's a little bit brash. Mm-hmm. And they came up against a group of the enemy group, like the, the anti-party. This mm. isn't just random bad guys. And it's got Rook's brother in it. Rook's our big Goliath guy. And apparently they don't get along. We didn't know about Rook's brother, so this is all news to us. So I'm kind of, Nigel's kind of like, can I shoot him? Can I not shoot him? But then Rook's like, I'm going to freaking kill you. At any rate, it looked like they were going to get away. And I hate it when people get away. So Nigel tragically followed them through the doorway. And there's he's now surrounded. The guy's on the ground. The guy that was running away, boop, he's down too. But there's no way I'm going to still be standing at the end of what we return to. And I just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's awesome. Epic. And if the folks listening to us really want to hear what happens and Glenn hasn't let us in, send us the notes, emails, jump on Facebook, hit us on Twitter, and we'll make sure Glenn uh, gives you that closure. I should know the answer before the episode airs, so maybe we'll stick it in the episode. So my TTRPG news for the week, and, and uh, Luini, because somewhat related to what yours was there, is with the situation that's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now, on itch.io, there is a bundle, a TTRPG bundle that you can purchase that has something like, and I'm not actually making this number up, something like 6,000 different RPG publications in it that is on sale and the Money there is going to a couple of different charities in the Ukraine to go ahead and help with humanitarian efforts over there right now. If you are, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, go check out the bundle itself. is only ten dollars, and it, it includes like there's a game called Thirsty Sword Lesbians, which is hysterical and awesome, and that's in there. Games that have never appeared in bundles before are in this bundle because the a lot of the a bunch of publishers have got together to go ahead and, and put this together. It's a fantastic. We'll put the link in the show notes so that people can go ahead and, and, nice. and check it out. I was going to ask uh, if we had a link because yeah, I, it, it I want to go check that out. That sounds yeah, pretty it does. cool. It's, and it, it's fantastic. Yeah. So there's there is that. I love it when the TTRPG community comes together to go ahead and support our own, and that's a, this is a great example of that. So Awesome people doing awesome things. Awesome people doing awesome things. You all can come on the show, not all 6,000 of you at once. We can only hold 10 people in a meeting at a time. I was just saying 10 would be a lot to try to keep straight <laughs> talking. I know. We've had eight at the last the last Patreon actual play episode. When we started episode eight, there were seven players and me, and that was a lot. <laughs> there were some challenges with that. There were but some challenges. Good there, challenges. Yeah. Yeah, it was a exactly, fantastic right. game. I really yep. enjoyed coming back to the group. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bringing Sprocket back and playing him again was a hoot. Yeah. Anyway, all that to go ahead and say, welcome to Critical Role Month here on Tabletop Journeys. And tonight, we are starting with a discussion slash review slash breakdown of the Legend of Vox Machina show that was on 
Amazon Prime. This will be your spoiler warning. We are not going to be holding back on any of the plot elements or anything like that. We're definitely going to be talking about some of the things that they did. So if you have not caught up on The Legend of Vox Machina, uh, What's wrong pause. With you? Yeah, first of all, what's wrong with you? Go watch it. But pause this first. Watch it. Watch all 12 episodes. It's only 12, like 12, like 30 minute long episodes. It'll only take you a few hours. And then come back. That's... <laughs> But do come back. Exactly. Because we're going to be talking a bunch about it here. So we are, and we, we're really excited about this. Gentlemen, I don't know, I don't know what your surface thoughts are on this, but I'm assuming that they are somewhat in line with mine. That, that boy, this show was good. And as someone that has not listened to Critical Role before, I will admit the show was better than I thought it was going to be. I'll, I will come out and make that statement that I was not sure what I was going to get. And it was better than I thought it was going to be. I will second you on that, but I will just add this. Thank you for bearing that cross before I had to carry some of that weight. <laughs> I will also just throw a quick shout out to one of our patrons, Jen, for continually, from the moment she heard it was coming out, ask us, are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? Did you watch it? Like every time an episode came out, it was, are we going to do, do an episode yet? So Jen, <laughs> this one's for you. Yeah. Uh, and all of our patrons, obviously, and all of our listeners also. But Jen, this one's for you. And this is just the start of a whole month. Our way of thinking is it wasn't enough to just review it like everybody else. We had to make something big and special of it because the three of us were late to the critical role game. Here we are jumping in and we got a month of content for you. Dare I say we had to do something legendary? What about you, Glenn? What did you think about the series? So late is definitely not the wrong way to put it. I went into watching the show expecting it to be good, I'm going to be honest, because I had learned a little bit more about Critical Role in the time since I started getting back into D&D, though I had not had time to listen to them beyond an episode or two. Enough conversation with Jen had already convinced me that it was going to be a good time and that the story was good. So I was, I was prepared for that, but I wasn't completely prepared for how well they were going to pull it off and how... Mm -hmm true to form they'd be with just straight up going with the mature this is the way we did it tropey and fun and funny regardless of whether or not we may offend somebody by having a horny bard stereotype <laughs> that, that really made the show uh, and not just scanlon with his stereotype but there's a lot of tropes going on there yeah totally yeah and and they sold it and they did it amazingly well they are a troop of professional voice actors so they're too expecting it to came in expecting it wasn't going to be b-rate acting and they did it they yeah. did an amazing job it was great and that they, is, I think, and, and they brought in idea. some amazing additional talents episode by episode, the voices and the talents. And we'll get into some of the people. We probably won't get them all, but there are a number of folks that I want to that I'll mention as we talk about the episodes and the structure of the show that I'll mention. Uh, I was just blown away by the people that they got in on this. Their Kickstarter raised a boatload of money in an amazingly fast period of time. So I knew they had the financial backing to make it good. So I wasn't doubting the quality. I just didn't know how I was going to feel about the translation. I love Dragonlance. Fantastic story. The first movie, it left me wanting, even though I loved the actors that were involved in it. So it's mm -hmm. like it sure. had all the same pieces, but they did something special here that hasn't been done with tabletop products in the past. Yep. And that's what I couldn't be sure of. Did you say Dragonlance movie? Yes. With Michael like, Rosebaum playing the role of Raceland. <laughs> correction, Kiefer Sutherland playing the role of Raceland, rather. Michael Rosebaum was in it. I forget I'm not which sure one I saw it. I can't remember which one. I'm ashamed to say that. Kiefer Maybe I shunned it automatically Kiefer because all D&D movies come out as crap. Yeah. 
Yep. You had Lucy Lawless as Goldmoon. You had Michael Rosenblum as Tannis. Yeah. Tannis. There we go. Seriously? Okay. Yeah, they had okay. serious right. talent on that program. And did it bomb? It bombed horrendously. So it's totally <laughs> yeah. fair that I missed it because yeah. as yeah. one must expect with all of the movies that they put out for D&D, yeah, but I maybe the next one will be a surprise because they're saying yeah. it's going to be, I'm hoping. I hope so. We're hoping. We're hoping. But I promise you this about it. As bad as it was or as much as it left me wanting, I bought that shit and I'm so happy I got it. <laughs> because yeah, Kiefer Sutherland so as Raceland was amazing. Well, I've got to watch it now that I know it exists. Oh, yeah, it's just the thing. Slide on yeah. over to this side of the studio and I'll hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I have a batleth and a pile of role-playing books for you from our downsizing. Excellent. <laughs> Let your gear flow into this, me. This, this is how we do things over here at Tabletop Journeys, right? You, All right. You Tra- trade one bad one bad Dragonlance movie for a bat less than some role playing books. I love it. So uh, I I will say too that one. So Glenn, you talked about how they implemented the tropes and everything like that. I thought that they that was the thing that I thought they did really well is they walked that tight line that that tightrope between funny being and dumb an as actual hell. play. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, well, yes, but. But being in actual play and having like having run a year's worth of actual plays now, like I understand what the actual play aesthetic is. It's okay. you know, and so it had Vox Machina had some of those role playing actual play elements to it, like the banter back and forth between characters, and just like the way that they would have like their uh, normally profanity laden asides as things were going on, that kind of thing. With also being a good TV show and structured plot that made entertaining television, I thought that they walked that line really well. And at no point did I feel like, oh, it's getting too actual play or, oh, it's losing that sense of a campaign. It was really like – here's the thing is that I – when I'm working, sometimes I'll put stuff on TV and I will have it on in the background, but I won't really be super paying attention to it. I totally figured that's what this was going to be. That was going to be something I could put on the background, get the gist of it, and everything would be great. And that was not the case. There were numerous times that I was like, I'm actually paying attention to this. I need to not be working. Numerous <laughs> not trying times? to work I mean, or not trying to do We kind sat of down and, and like we set it up as like a family thing. And like, yeah. yeah, we're watching it with my with my oldest son. Mind you, he's 18. But at first, so there's enough subject matter in there to be a little bit awkward. But it's encased in enough humor Youngest that son? it worked great yeah. without too much of a problem. Yeah. And we sat down and watched it like focused in. And, and when we ran out, we were sad and waited till the next Friday. But <laughs> so we started the, a little bit earlier. Yeah. All of the episodes were out when I sat down to watch it. And I watched the first three episodes with my youngest and uh, who's 15. And yeah, the subject matter is a little mature, but at this point he's 15. Yeah. Parental guidance means parents need to know what their kids are watching. I felt comfortable with him watching the show after I had watched the first three episodes, knowing what he was going to get. We have our rules. He knows what's acceptable. I don't worry about him taking things from a show out in the world. I do think it was important because I knew there were going to be mature pieces to it. I wanted to watch the first couple episodes with him so I understood the levels it would get to. And I felt comfortable with the maturity of my son watching this program. And I was okay with that. Every parent needs to make that their own decision. Absolutely. I I think that's important to say off the rip. But that said, just like Josh, I thought it would be something other than watching those first couple with my kid that I'd be able to watch in the background, have one. But I knew probably 15 minutes in, this was something I was going to pay attention to. Uh, Even though they had the money and I expected it to be high quality, 
a lot of money gets put into animation that doesn't look this good. Yeah. Right. More money than they put in goes into animation that doesn't look this good. Yeah, very uh, Avatar animation style esque. Yeah. Avatar: The Last yeah. Airbender, Avatar, like that type of um, world. It is. Yeah. The Dragon Prince are to, to be more current. All those classic, Voltron. great '80s animated. Yeah, Voltron was the one that I thought of like immediately. Voltron, I was the, the new Voltron on Netflix yeah. is actually where I was going with. Like, Interesting, yeah. High quality animation, good, slick, clean lines. Those are the kinds of things I look for in animation. I watch a lot of animation, a lot of anime. Not as much anime as I used to when I was younger, but I, enough where I feel comfortable speaking that this was top tier quality work and i knew it would be good it took it to another level and that's the theme we're going to come back to a lot as we continue to talk about this show yep totally the other thing that i thought they did really well with the way that they laid out their episodes was again to suck in people like the three of us who are D&D fans and are role-playing fans but are not necessarily critical role fans the way that they basically kicked right in with that little two or three episode arc at the beginning where we met the characters, we saw the world, we saw the way the world worked, we met some of the the big name NPCs. It's, it, it's how you would structure a campaign, right? It's here's, you know, if I'm starting a new campaign with new players, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and do a little mini thing to go ahead and get them to understand how the way my world works. And then once they've solved that little mini mystery, then we're going to go ahead and dive off into the big arc and go from there. But it was really, it was really smart. And I I think that kind of goes to your point, Lee Winika, that just because they had a lot of money, that does not mean that they were going to be smart about the way that they spent it. And True. they absolutely were. And you talked about the voice. We'll get to the voice talent in a minute here. Like, but but just in the way that they the way that they did the animation, the way that they scripted it was just really smart. And that's the thing that I think came across more than anything else about this is that it just is really well put together. I'm very impressed. If you're doing a campaign. Like you said, new people, you want to do a little thing to get them to, to, to know your world, but you also want all that little stuff to matter. Mm -hmm. So what did they do in that first arc that really mattered? You introduced the characters, Yep. You, you, you completely, and they did this in probably the first 20 minutes, not even, or the first 10 minutes, really. You let them know that they think they're bigger and better than the world thinks they are. And yes. you got that quick, right? As yep. they're all tossed out in the street. It, you're not all that. Right. No, they, they definitely get humbled very quickly. They got humbled many times. They get humbled immediately, even though they kicked a little bit of ass in there. And then you sent them out on their adventures. Hey, show up, do a thing. Uh, like, and nobody thinks they can do it. Like, it's a joke. Mm -hmm. The court thinks it's a joke that they're even going to try to do this thing. And they preface that by showing you all the people who failed, who are supposed to be amazing. Yeah. And then they go to do the thing. And lo and behold, they successfully, albeit barely, do the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, and that's brilliant. That's the way you structure the, an early campaign. But within that, what did you get? You get a taste that not everything is what it seems because you see that with your first villain and there's something fishy going on in the court. Mm -hmm. You get a taste for the fact that as they wind that up, when they're doing the denouement from that opening piece of the campaign, what do they do? They give you the intro into the other mystery. And all along in little bits and pieces in there, you get this story of Percy and what's going on with him. Uh, mm -hmm. And you don't get all of it, but you get enough of it to know there's something 
more. Something not right about him. Yeah. Before you get into the second act of the uh, of the program of the series, there's something more about Percy. There's relationship issues, and you gotta figure out what's going on between other characters. And you know that there's things happening here, and you get this cool mix of character, backstory, progress, action, humor, adventure. Yeah, that's a campaign. Yeah. They just did it all. You even got to see the dice rolls. You saw natural 20s. You could see it. I could tell you where they rolled natural 20s. I could tell you where they rolled natural ones every time it happened. And that is difficult to do. It takes gamers to know that's what you're doing. We, I watch movies and say, oh, he rolled a natural one. Oh, he rolled the this. Mm -hmm. And that's a joke. This was dedicated and on purpose and dedicated. Absolutely. I thought that another way that kind of came through about the way that they were that this was very much gamer fan service like they were talking 100%. to us as gamers on some level was the way that they used magic and the way that magic appeared in the show is you could tell when they were using spells that like we talked about Scanlan and his his cock lightning I'll just say it like that's thrown out there we're talking yeah, about a mature good. show yeah. so we can look we're, we're talking about Vox, Vox Machina the language might get a little salty a language um, mature show at least yeah exactly yeah but that's you know what they're doing that's oh okay that's he just used magic missile oh he's and then oh, I was like oh right. is she a is she a warlock or is she a sorcerer what is she what is it that she's doing there and so it's, you you start trying to figure out almost as if you're at the table like if you are at the table and watching uh, Lady Briarwood doing the things that she was doing toward the end of the season, you'd start trying to figure it out. Oh man, what are her powers? What is she doing? Which I thought was just, again, it's just masterfully done. And it was, and they did it all amazingly, incredibly, yeah. without violating copyright. That's why it was Scanlan's hand. Because they can't oh. say Bixby's. They can't say Magic Missile. They can't refer to any D&D content. So they did all of this. And because of your game knowledge, let you know what spells they were using. And you could start trying to pick up the abilities, like what was Percy's ability with the mask and the smoke and stuff, which we didn't figure out. But Nate had to know, so we looked it up. And that's how I found out a lot of things, because my son looks things up and then comes back and reports. That's how we knew that he had taken the Warlock Adept feat. Yeah. And that's where he was a gunslinger Warlock Adept. Is that what he was? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he took the feet to pick up, and that's where he got his patron. And tying that into the plot for the show was masterful. See, I just from was the feet, wondering but. if he just was a warlock who got the gun slit skill, or if he multiclassed at some point. But that makes a lot of sense now that you spell that out. That's, yeah. I had Nate looking things up for me. He was looking up, well, what level are they? <laughs> trying to figure things out like that. And, and that was an interesting sidebar as we were watching the show, too, to get the information. But I was most impressed with, aside from all of the things we've been talking about, that they did it all, honoring D&D without any of us complaining about any of it, without mentioning anything they can't mention, without violating any copyright, without... It, it was completely masterful. Yeah. It's really interesting. I had not pieced that together, that they never actually mention anything from the D&D canon. Ever. Like, they don't, but, like, right, you know... Even the SRD rules for the open game yeah. license don't apply. But that Keyleth is a druid, and that Pike is a paladin, and, like, all of these things are apparent because of the because of what we're bringing to the show. Wow. Actually, I, I had knowledge we already have, but then the other part of it was just 
excellent well visual storytelling yeah. to help you connect all those dots. So Very I was thinking Pike was a cleric who became a paladin when she went away, but that's just me. I don't know what the actual characters were, but certainly it either way would be fine because paladins and clerics are close enough. But yeah. I one of the things that I really loved, and just to talk about this because it did take place in the second act of the show, once we get to the big dinner and the Briarwoods go there, the way the Briarwoods did the dominate or the suggestion or the charm on the king Ugh, on the king was mm -hmm. perfection. Yep. If you want to know how to role play that scene, watch that. Keep it in your head and figure ways to bring that into your game. That's the way to do that. That was extremely well done. Yep. Just and just in general, just the way that the party knows that the Briarwoods are bad guys. Like they they know right. this. And it's not just because Percy is they're bad guys, like that, you know, but like everybody knows that the Briarwoods are bad guys, except for everybody else that's at that dinner. Everybody else that's in court, everybody else that's there is confused is the wrong word, but so under their spell that it's 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 like maddening watching it. It's like why don't why doesn't anybody else see this? And then so like even having so having Vox Machina see it is this nice validating. like okay it's validation right. yeah but it also created the problem for vox machina because they don't have the ability to play this shit close to the vest and yeah. Yeah. keep a, yeah. the next day percy's about to pull out his gun at the table and start blasting <laughs> away so that immediately since nobody else sees it even before and after the king is mind controlled sets them up as to, to take the the fall for the evening, to be the ones that caused the problem. It, it took attention away from the Briarwoods because they couldn't keep their yeah. collective shit in one sock. Um, <laughs> and the Briarwoods masterfully exploited that. They, of course, as a vampire and his warlock mistress should. I would also say that in addition to as masterful as that was, depicting the way the Arcana check to understand what the Briarwoods did was equally perfection mm -hmm. like i saw the roles and that's yeah. what i really liked about it like in my head i saw when dice dropped and i saw right. when stuff was role played and yep. i love that action without having seen the actual play and seen those scenes with people sitting around a table i can only imagine exactly when the dice were dropped and i'm pretty sure i'll be spot on yeah Jen does say that the Briarwood story arc is an excellent place to, to try to jump in. Interesting. I'd be curious to listen to the actual play then to see how it overlaps and how it jives or how it dovetails with the series. Because I, I think you're right, Luanika. Like We as players know when those roles were happening, but at no point in the show was the fact that there was an arcana check going on or the fact that they were making an attack roll that fumbled or like it never got in the way of nope. the action it never got in the way of the show like we knew it was happening as gamers but i would like to think that somebody who was not a gamer watching the show would just be entertained meanwhile so, while we have all this information in the background like, oh we know what's going on yeah, right there it, it's so. like a second level of of excitement and entertainment yeah, like, I contend. And, and like my third level was the voice acting. I would listen yeah. to scenes and say, because it's on Amazon, which allows you to pause it and look at, look at who the actors yeah. are in that immediate scene, yeah. uh, which is an amazing feature. It's why I love Amazon. One of the many reasons I love Amazon. But yeah. we'll, I, we'll talk about the voice acting in a minute. I'm going to cut you off because we're going to talk about the voice acting in a minute. Oh. Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? 
How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level, plus Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DM's Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. It makes total sense that as gamers we'd be geeking out about that piece of knowledge, but I want to contend that our mechanics that we have names for were written in order to help us create a narrative, which is storytelling, yeah. right? So they're basically just dice and rules to help us create that at the table. It already existed in storytelling. It already existed in movies. Yep. Seeing totally those right. little flashbacks as the main character makes a connection for the Arcana check. We're used to seeing that. So everybody else yeah. would just be entertained. It's just geek candy yeah. for us because we can see the pieces behind it. Even just the fact that Scanlan takes three or four chances to figure out what is in the book. That's like, he's, he's making arcana checks for six episodes trying to figure out what's in the book. He can't, yeah, that, like, that was a head scratcher. And he doesn't totally it. figure that out till the end. Exactly. Yeah. But, and what a great depiction of this, of Matt Mercer, storyteller, the DM letting Scanlon fail forward. No, yeah. you didn't get it, but you got this piece, right? Yeah. No, you didn't get it, but you got this piece. Never yeah. let a, a, a skill check block the progression of your plot give them a little Which, something so they go back to it brilliant that's a i mean if all else fails if they can't pick the lock and they've tried over and over again and they're one horse shy of trying to knock it down with a boulder or something have some guy open it up and throw a bucket of piss on him <laughs> you failed because that scene was 100 percent the rolling of the one you could see it when he couldn't pick that lock and I'm, yeah. it, it's a joke for the the rest of the thing that door was a, a, a thing from hell or a, it was great <laughs> but that's actually apparently a thing for the vox machina crew too they suck at doors and Real that's apparently a big geek candy for fans too is to keep that in there but apparently doors kick their ass a lot nice that's fabulous we saw that when they were trapped in the sister room they couldn't Pick the lock to get out, so that then they had to go back and figure out the puzzle. It's just another thing. Just never let your party fail entirely. Never make the progression of your plot, your story, the action of the sequence stop on one event. You, there's always got to be a way to do it a different way or another way around. And I think it was just exceptionally, again, I keep saying that, and it sounds like I'm a broken record now. It's an exceptional way to get to, to show that and showcase that. I think it's really yep. I really enjoyed seeing it done that way. All right, Leonica, I'm going to take the shackles off and let you uh, let you dive into clearly the topic that you have been chomping at the bit to go ahead and talk about for 35 minutes here, the voice acting. So who, yeah, have at it. Just yeah. fire off. Yeah. The actual critical role cast, the, the main characters, Laura Bailey, Ashley Johnson, Marisha Ray, sorry, I don't want to botch these names, Travis Willingham, Talison Jaffe, Liam O'Brien and Sam Regal, and of course, Matt Mercer, 
amazing. That's the cast of Critical Role. Thank you. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, give them a clap. But the talent they brought in to join Esme Creed Miles, who is the young woman who plays in Hannah, uh, also on Amazon Prime. Gina Torres from Firefly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Rory McCain. Amazing. Um, and Suits. D- Gina Torres, who also played Jessica Pearson on Suits, one of my favorite shows of all time. So, yeah, these are talents. And and, and I'm just going to say it because I I am a huge Whovian. They got Doctor Who to be on this show for a moment. And what I found was awesome is hearing the voices. I'm like, oh, that's who that is. And I could just and then stop. I could see their picture and go, oh, yes, yes, yes. And just amazing cast of people in this. I mean, they they got the Hound from Game of Thrones to play Duke Vermeer. That's okay. (laughs) The Hound is handling business here. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Root as uh, Professor Anders, who was creepy as all hell. That is one of the scariest things. With that magical tongue thing. Oh my God. The silver silver tongued, whatever it was that he had in there. Whatever it was. That was the worst. (laughs) and just gross too, because he kept like licking his lips and giving me the oh, 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 so creepy. And he did it whenever he was casting a spell. That was his focus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So well done. Oh. Uh, we had Dominic <laughs> Monaghan in this. We had it just goes on and on. Uh, just yeah. so many great people in this. I'm just so happy with this cast. And uh, I didn't say it earlier because he's just in everything that's worth watching for animation in the modern age. And that's, uh, and I hope I'm saying his name right, Kyrie Payton. Often does the voice for Cyborg in various DC properties, but he's done so many other things. He's just brilliant. Yeah, totally. That's so much rich talent in the voices. And I, I'm totally with you where that's one of the greatest things about Amazon is it's like, hey, I know that voice. I That sounds like Rory McCann. Holy crap, it is Rory McCann. And like that kind of thing. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even and even like, Nate picked one out. There was one of them and I don't remember which character because this mm-hmm. is Nate's story, not mine. Sorry. So it's going to be lackluster in terms of details. But for two episodes, he was like, who is he? I know who that guy is. And he winds up looking him up in the end. And yes, he's been in some other shows and stuff too. So he, he has a name, a voice actor of some renown, but Nate specifically mm-hmm. recognized him from one of the video games that he plays because he voice oh, nice. acts the lead throughout the game. Nice. But yeah, David Tennant, as soon as I heard his voice as the general, I knew instantly he was a bad guy. I'm like, he's not yeah. doing this to be a good guy today. I just knew it. I had a say. Yeah. And well, and I guess he did some voice inflections that made me think of, even though it's a totally different acting style choice or whatever, but, or it felt like it, there's some voice vocal things he did when he played the purple man and Jessica Jones that mm-hmm. I felt were similar enough to this. And he's got to be playing the bad guy here. Like yeah. I knew immediately that was the bad guy. And it was simply yeah. because David Tennant and, and awesome. Awesome. Even though they totally tried to convince us that the wormy, like, it reminded me of Wormtongue from Lord yeah. of the Ring. That that kind of like that guy. They tried to convince us that he was the bad guy, but I never. I was like, nah, that's too easy. Like they're selling that too hard. Yeah, in the first three episode yeah. subplot for the intro, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The court. The I'm not. Even, I don't even remember what his name, what the name of the character was, but he was like, yeah, the, the creepy guy with the long hair, and he was somewhat arcane and just, I don't know. And then, and Vex would get that weird, that weird quickening response every time that they were in court and they started thinking, oh, somebody there. Scottish general was always there too. 
Yep, totally. So what did we think about the actual, let's talk in a little bit more detail here. What did we think of the Briarwood plot itself? Like we, so we talked about how it was laid out in the show and how that was paced really well and everything like that. What did we think about the plot itself, about the way that they, you know, I don't know. What do we think about the plot itself? Do we feel like there was given enough kind of background about to support the plot in a short running show like this? Because I would imagine that the Briarwood series on Critical Role is longer than the five or six hours that the TV show was here. So there's, in more time, there's going to be more background, but do we feel like they cheaped out on the background on this one, or do we think that it was enough? I think it was enough given the scope. However, I would have liked a little more room to breathe within the story of Cassandra. Like, I think we just didn't have quite enough of her being turned to the Briarwoods. Yeah. Her confliction while basically pretending to be with her brother while she was still working for the Briarwoods and then turning on them and then later on being redeemed. Like, they couldn't show you that exactly without... what needed to happen. And they showed us the steps along the way. I just think I would have enjoyed more. Another episode in there, I think, okay, would have probably yeah. helped me with that, enjoy that even more. I think it just yeah. needed a little more breathing room. I think the easy answer to that, Luanika, is that so if you think about – so at the point that Percy finds her and then he immediately latches onto her and says, oh, come with me. I will take care of you. The reason why you don't see Cassandra being conflicted about, oh, am I here with Percy or am I with the Briarwoods? It's because she's not conflicted. She is she's absolutely a double agent. There is no – I called it then. She was yeah. with the Briarwoods still. Interesting. Okay. So you saw it coming from that far away. I did. Well, they gave as us soon as, as soon as they rescued her. I'm like, there's no way she's been with him for that long and she came out unscathed. They're controlling people's minds, having only been with them for mere moments. Yeah. So they couldn't have given you any of that conflict without giving away that reveal. And that would have been happening at the table, too, because running the game, Matt Mercer would have been challenged to sell Cassandra's character well enough to yeah. not have them be suspecting her in order for that reveal to actually hit home. And in the show, they did show that one scene where you've got the Briarwoods and a person that they, that they do not specifically reveal, but I was pretty convinced it was the uh, silhouette of Cassandra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah so I fair. knew she was a double agent. I just wanted to, and, and like I said, it could have been an extra episode where we got to see her life and her adventures, her dealing with the various people her maybe doing some bad deeds along the way, almost like they just needed a little vignette yeah. uh, with her experience throughout yep. from when she fell down to her meeting Percy. And I think that's what I was missing. And I don't think that takes away from the show as much as it just, I wanted more. I wanted yeah. to see her experience and gotcha. we didn't get to see it. There's nothing wrong with her really speaking to you that way and wanting more. I didn't see that. I felt that the flashback that she did when Percy said, how could you? And she tells him how, because the only person in my, I had left in my entire life left me to die. And she goes yeah. to a flashback and they don't give you an episode. They give you, unfortunately, a montage that's only like 10 seconds long. But yeah. it was all stuff that because I saw it coming. I already filled in the blanks for. So for me, it was perfect. It was enough. And yeah. and I guess for me, because I'm a huge fan of the show, Hannah, and I recognize the voice and I had done the thing. I'd say I didn't really. I recognize there's something about the voice. And then I looked and saw the name and I was like, ah, I just wanted more of her because <clears throat> her as an actor is amazing. And I just want to well, Hannah's a great show, too. Wow. Knock your socks off. Awesome stuff. And important to Percy's backstory. But in terms of <laughs> Vox Machina, she's 
not even um, a secondary character. Yeah, she's, she's a like a tertiary. She's got lines. She's got a name. She's a named yeah. part. She's, she's an NPC. And Peggy from the sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Josh got it. <laughs> I didn't get that. A lovely Hamilton reference. From Hamilton. Lovely Hamilton okay. reference. I love Ann Peggy. I do it all the time. Trish laughs at me. <laughs> <clears throat> I run around the house and I'm feeling inspired. I'm just like, and Peggy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. You're not Peggy um, on this but, podcast, Glenn. Like, that's, no, know. I'm not. But at any rate, she's not a big part story-wise, though she does take over the family name and the the land. Yeah. So in the future, maybe you'll get some more about her. So I'm curious what season two is going to be, right? Are they, is there more fruit on it, this? Is there a season or? two? Do we have confirmation on that? I'm certain there's going to be a season two. But the Kickstarter was to give a season one. I, yeah. It was originally to just do. Well, th- let's do a Google. In, uh, that season two, there. season two was renewed. That's it was renewed in November of 2019 for a second season. So it is. So it before, is. before it even premiered, it was given a second season. Okay. Cool. So. Fantastical. But Actually, I think I knew there was going to be another season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you on that one, Lou and Ika, that I do wish that there was a little bit more with Cassandra, although I understand why they played her the way that they did. I think the other character that I thought could have used a little bit more is the doctor that they found in the jail there. Like, I think I get, again, to your point, Glenn, that they are very much a tertiary character. Like, they are not that important but that also felt like they found the character and was the character just there to be like the object of angst for percy and to keep percy off kilter just enough to go ahead and have him making rash and bad decisions or was she actually there to be useful in some regard i just i felt like there was more opportunity there that they could have done but again we're like we're really being nitpicky here i don't think her story's done i think that they did that pretty well too they gave you this random person they showed you percy's violent reaction no mercy mm -hmm. percy at his best and he pulled that trigger there was no there wasn't any hesitation and they gave you through that moment and then bits and pieces as she spoke to people little bits more for backstory about what happened yeah I'm not going to disagree with you, though, because I thought that her whole like it was just a job thing versus what we saw in the scenes that they showed us. That wasn't somebody who was just a job. She enjoyed the pain she was inflicting. She did. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was so kind, yeah, there's kind of like a, yeah, there's a more depth there, but I don't think she's done because she's the only one that got away from Percy's original list. I think that was the introduction of Percy's nemesis. She's also an art working yeah. on making a firearm. She yep. was admiring his designs. I think that's 100% Percy's personal antagonist for yeah. a coming season. That whole like creepy, like Joseph Mengele style vibe where, yeah, she was hurting people and she was enjoying it. Like she was yes. not, this was not like a moral conflict for her. And you talked about Percy's gun and how she recognized the craftsmanship and everything like that. What a beautiful ending when Scanlan yes. was like, no, just look, I feel better. Everything's fantastic. Scanlan, nope, absolutely not. This thing's <laughs> bad. You are not getting it back under any circumstances. No. And like, and at first I thought it was like, oh, that's just like Scanlan being Scanlan. That's hysterical. That's just funny. And then he throws it in the acid and the demon gets out. So, oh. <laughs> and person's like, oh, huh. <laughs> Thanks for that, Scanlan. Scanlan <laughs> did not roll a one on that arcana check. He, was, he picked that one right out. That's, but like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. It's just like really smart decisions. Because the entire time, we're made to believe that Scanlan is basically a joke, right? Like, he's really not... Like, we recognize that, like, Scanlan and everything like that. But like, that's the way that he acts and the way that everything he does. He's just... He's a punchline. So Scanlan's do you know why? Do you know anything about Scanlan? 
I, I know nothing more about Scanlan other than what I saw on the show. It was the verse act, voice actor's first D&D character, or at least, or first 5e. He was mm-hmm. learning the game and didn't really understand a lot of it. So he yeah. went with the bard and he went super tropey. You could 100% lean into that while he was yeah. learning the mechanics. So yeah, he's got a lot of that comic relief side to him because part of the time he was just trying to keep up with what was going on in the beginning, sure. at least. Yeah. But he well, did that- have his moment, though, in his big fight on the rooftop. I was really rooting for him in, in oh. that fight. And I was yeah. like, man, I would be so pissed if they end up killing the bard right here. Yeah. Like, like he did well, the and- thing and they're going to kill the bard anyway. F you, yeah. Matt Mercer. Why are you going to well, kill and- the bard? <laughs> and another great example of as you're watching it, you're like, this is really compelling TV. And then you take a step back and I know exactly how this battle is playing out with these characters. I can see what is happening. Scanlon's just getting the tar beat out of him, but he's holding his own. Like, he's doing okay. You know, I mean, it's kind of like in the the second fighter class warfare that we did when I was like, when I was tanking those three people, it's I knew you were coming and I, I might die before you get there or like the, the round that you get there, but I will at least hold these guys back so that you can get here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's, this is my job. I've got to survive for four rounds and that's, I may not survive past that, but that's what I got to do. And so that's, again, another great example of what we're talking about where it's like, as a gamer, this is compelling game. Yeah, As a TV they, fan, it's compelling television. And they oh. did that a couple times. They did that with Vex in his first fight with the Briarwoods when he got caught yep. alone. And then mm-hmm. I thought that was a precursor. When, they, when he basically ended up against them again, I'm like, oh, damn. This time they're going to kill him. Doesn't do this twice and survive it, right? No, and then it's no. like, nope, they're not going to kill him. They're going to use him to kill everybody else. As the player in Streams of Spiro, who has twice now been possessed and turned against his own party, it's a suck position to be in, mm. but it makes for compelling viewing yeah. or, or listening and, if, in the, or, or viewing in the case of Streams of Spiro. So I've been that character and I felt that in my core. Yeah. And I think that's the goal. Yeah. The goal is as a, I think you're right. They set this up to be fan service for gamers, but to be a, 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 a relatable, an interesting, a compelling television program for non-gamers. And hopefully some part of those become part of that Venn diagram that end up now becoming gamers afterwards. And I think it's exactly the way to do it because I felt it as a gamer and I could, and I know there are people who felt it as a television person watching it it's like watching mal get beat up in the final episode of firefly it's like he's just gonna do his thing and this is the last episode so maybe he dies here yeah but my god I- i'm in for this i'm in yeah. for this fight and i'm with my hero yeah. he rose in the case of uh vox machina and but and not just that but think about this too from like a gamecraft point of view damn if lord briarwood's charm must be really powerful to get a half elf not once but twice Right. Like, okay, so Briarwood is throwing some wood. So that's, you know, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. But, and that joke didn't even come to us from Scanlon. Thank you very much. That was all our own <laughs> personal bard. Yeah. All our Josh own. Newton, exactly. That's right. Affectionately so, known as Abjur Josh. Yep. yep. It's my own. But it's not just the, uh, the way that the show chose to make it. Honestly, part of the reason this has been a compelling podcast is because it's the way that the voice actors and Matt Mercer chose to 
play it and portray it as they went. So like Scanlan mm-hmm. in that fight, as you were describing it, one of his weaknesses, in my opinion, in the way that the character chose to portray him, which I love, much more highlighted in Kaylee is Scanlan's not very confident, except right. for as a musician and an idol. And when it comes to fighting he's not the fighting guy yes yep. so facing down this guy and his entire staff with this big beast coming down on him he's got more power than he thinks or he'd be dead already and i love that the player the actor when they played the character chose to play him that way just like i love how uncertain marissa marisha i'm sorry marisha ray chooses to chose to play kayla it just creates a lot of opportunity for growth and story as it goes and that all fed together if they didn't have all of the pieces it wouldn't be as great as it is it's not just the the animation company or the writers who helped convert it from the original script uh, and recorded sessions into the into this plot and then the reacting it's Matt and his players and the way that they built and crafted it as an actual play as a story for their fans in the first place that made it all possible. Yep. And let's also give some writing credits because Sam Regal wrote two episodes and Travis Willingham also wrote, wrote or has writing credits on two episodes. Credit where credit is due. They not only do great with their own characters, but they also do great in story craft of a television program. And, And again, professionals absolutely they should be good at the jobs that they do but sure yeah it should not go uncredited because just because you're good at a thing doesn't mean you shouldn't get credit because you're damn good at a thing yeah yep totally vox machina if you haven't watched it and uh you just let us sit here for an hour and spoil all the good parts about it you should still go watch it this is a show that i think has got a lot of rewatchability because yeah. there's a lot that happens there's a lot that is in this and i think that uh and like any great show like i think watching it a second time with knowing how it's going to end at the end is going to allow us to go ahead and pick out like, Oh, that's what was going on right here at this moment. Oh, that's what that spell was. So that's what this nod was that kind of thing. Chris I think it's got a lot of just talking about watching it again, actually. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I would, I can see that I'll be watching it again. Yeah. Final thoughts from you gentlemen, Glenn, final thoughts on Vox Machina. It rocked, bro. It was really awesome. And Scanlon's hand and people sing that all the time. Like, all the time in my house. Someone's like suddenly Amazing. from across the room, Scanlan's hand. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> but then when he had to go metal at the end. It, yeah. I, I, it's so good. Yeah. Scanlan's just a great it's, character. It's epic. It really Watch is. the yeah. show. It's a whole lot of yeah. fun if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Very mature. Be prepared. Sex. <laughs> yep. Know what you're getting roll, into. Alcohol. Yep. yep. Parts, body parts flying everywhere. Yep. Yeah. The the violence was over the top. I will say that 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 is that that is they certainly do not pull any that violence. The, that, that was the most violent opening cavern <laughs> brawl I've ever seen in a campaign. But they gave it all to you right there in that first episode, like right up front. They said, "Hey, in your face, this is what you're going to get in this show." They had the violence, they, all oh, of it, absolutely, every right. piece and, of it was in that first episode. And what's that gnome doing with my daughter? You don't want to know. <laughs> How about you, Lee Winnicka? What Final thoughts on, on Fox Machina? I really loved it. I enjoyed it a lot. This was so much fun. I'm ashamed that I hadn't watched it before or when it first came out. It was instructive as far as how it goes, and I knew that about the, the people involved. I, I've spoken about Handbooker Helper on their YouTube channel before, helped me learn how to play 5e. Mm-hmm. So I knew the personalities were going to do some pretty cool things. It 
impressed me beyond what I expected and I enjoyed it. And yes, rewatchability, it absolutely has. So looking forward now that we know that uh, now that I know there's a second season coming, I can't wait to see that. Yep. I, I agree. I can't wait for the second season either. I think the second season is going to be uh, fantastic. So <clears throat> very much looking forward to that. So that is our uh, Vox Machina episode for tonight. Did you have anything further, Glenn? Is that? I did. I have yeah. one more scene that no, I have had because yeah. we gave Scanlan so many props, but we didn't give Grog nearly enough because oh, he's just Grog. as much of the comic relief. And especially when they're in the dry town and he finally finds the booze in the closet when they're, they're raiding the manor. <laughs> and he's like, oh! <laughs> or, or even they use it to put like, out a fire. Grog, throw the booze. Like, oh, but I just got it. You know, <laughs> freaking amazing. Yeah, Grog yep. is is worth worth the watch. And I know that was a short uh, shout out, but hey, Grog, I no, love you. Totally, man. and 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 we should have given more credit. But guess what? This is the month of Critical Role, so we're gonna have time to talk a, a little bit more when we get into the books. I'm sure we're gonna be able to talk about the various characters in greater detail. So, Grog, your shout out may not have been huge, but it's coming. Yep. It's at the end. That makes it more important. All right. So as a sandwich. <laughs> as we mentioned at the beginning, we're going to be doing tons of Critical Role content throughout the month here. So obviously today was our, our Vox Machina episode. To Next Saturday, we come back with the new Critical Role book, uh, Call of the Netherdeep. And then we're going to be doing some other Critical Role-based stuff throughout the month here. So we have uh, we have an episode. We're going to break down the Bloodhunter class at the end of the month here, uh, including another class warfare where the three of us will roll up Bloodhunters and throw them against probably another deadly encounter, I think, because we, we tend to do pretty well against deadly encounters and uh, just because we're so uh, – because we're, we're strong enough role players here and trying to put together okay. a couple of other things uh, for the month here that are all going to be on Critical Role. So April will be uh, will be Critical Role month. I'm really looking forward to uh, to bringing this content to you. Anyway, with all that, uh, again, we will be back to you next week with some episodes of, of some content for uh, from Call of the Netherdeep. As we say, we'll talk to you again next time. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.